Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. Many investors these days are beginning to realize the opportunities in short-term rentals. Today, we're going to explore how we can achieve above-average returns by investing in short-term rentals. Alex Jarbo is a vacation rental developer and host of the YouTube channel, Alex Builds. He focuses on developing vacation rental complexes in Western North Carolina and partnering with investors to help them achieve above-average real estate returns. So, Alex, take us into the show and share an experience from your formative years that helped you to be the person you are today. Yeah, no, that's a phenomenal question. So, thanks for the intro. Thanks for having me on. I would say my formative years, I feel like I'm still going through some of my formative years right now, but going back to when I was younger, I would say, so I joined the Marine Corps right out of high school. Like I didn't even have a summer break. And I would say my formative years were in the Marine Corps there, mainly just how to lead people, how to talk to people, how to set goals for myself, and then for also how to communicate them to other people. That's been super important in, in what I do today with, with just communi- communicating goal, setting goals for yourself is important. And setting the right type of goals for yourself is important, but setting goals for your company and the people who work for you and communicating those is a completely different thing. And that that's one thing that I, I was a Marine Corps infantryman. I was stationed in DC and that, that's what really helped me. Yeah, that, that That's really helped me. That really helped me. And then also just understanding the benefit and the need for a mentor that's achieved a couple steps ahead of you. So yeah, that, that'd be the two biggest things that I've learned during my formative years in the, essentially in the Marine Corps. Well, Alex, you build cabins for specifically rental and specifically short-term rental. Mm -hmm. Why is it you don't just go out and purchase already built and developed homes? Yeah. So the... In the last, I would say, five years, the cat's sort of been out of the bag with how good the short-term rental returns have been. And when it was time for me to start looking, when I decided I wanted to get into purchasing, I was, I've was i managed short-term rentals for other people before and other properties. But when it came time for me to purchase a property and get into short-term rentals with being an owner, I couldn't find anything that that was that I felt like would do well as a short-term rental. And at the time, I didn't realize that Everyone was going through that and everyone is currently still going through that. And so we just decided to build. It made more sense to do a custom built home to essentially our specs. I didn't really have a massive budget when I first started either. And it was cheaper for me to build like a 900 square foot home that could be a cottage. It was originally an A-frame, which we're renting out right now. And yeah, it was just, we, we realized that with the competition and everything that it made more sense to build. Now, granted, like it, it is more difficult. You have to go through permitting process. You got to go find the land. You got to know what to look for. But outside of that, that's why I decided to sort of go and build over, over purchasing was, was just because the competition just, and, and during the lockdown, I, th- I think it had got even crazier because short-term rentals actually did pretty well during the lockdowns. And the, the prices have just skyrocketed everywhere, whether you're looking to purchase a home to live in or to purchase a short-term rental. But especially if it can, if it can do well as a short-term rental, it's, it's probably pretty close to overpriced, in my opinion, right now. The, the already built homes are already yes. overpriced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's why we went that route. 
Well, how are you controlling construction costs, particularly with the inflation of uh, lumber? Right. So we had four projects that were planned for last year that we we put off. Luckily, we didn't have any investors in those. Those were just my projects that uh, I had all my equity in them. And right now, we're every every budget that we do is based off of current pricing, like post pandemic pricing compared to what we went through uh, in in twenty twenty and. The, the early part of 2021. Yeah, no, that, that was a crazy time. Lumber going up 300%, steel, everything. Everyone was at home. So nobody would, with the lockdowns and everything, nobody was working. But yeah, that's how we sort of just pushed the projects to this year. And it, it was just it was just some negotiating on on the, the lending side when it came to say like the interest payments we had to pay and everything. Luckily, we hadn't we hadn't taken any, we were only in our first disbursements with our lender. So the the interest payments were were very minimal. And the our our existing existing cabins were doing so well that it was fine to pay that just to, to hold off. Cause I mean we would we would have completely blown our budget. We could have built during the pandemic, but we would have completely blew our budget out of the water if we would have done that. Right now, when the pandemic happened, I I focused really on try to build a six six to eight month reserve per property. And that's sort of built into our model now is we build a six to eight month reserve from the first six months that we get from the cash flow when we first rent out. And that sort of acts as a buffer if anything else crazy happens. Sounds like a good and reasonable thing to do to reduce yeah. that risk. Well, you had mentioned that you had uh, done property management. Do you still manage short-term rentals for others? Yeah. So I let go of all my properties that I managed for other people. Now with our newer business model, where we we partner with our investors, the management's built into the deal. So it's like we develop and then we we manage. And that's sort of, that's sort of what our value is to, to the investor or to our investors. Okay. Well, that makes good sense there, particularly from an investor's perspective. They know they're getting an experienced property manager who knows what they are doing. You mentioned automation. Can you take us through the process of how it is that you automate? Because I think one of the things that uh, certainly concerns me in thinking about short-term rentals is the plethora of management administrative things that are going to have to be done in conjunction with that. Yeah, absolutely. I would say this is probably my favorite part on the of the management side is figuring out different ways to automate, putting the right systems in place. The new technologies that come out on this side of real estate with short-term rentals is the last like year has has really been phenomenal in terms of automating about 70 to 80% of messaging. And then the cleaning crew, in my opinion, is the most important part of the, the whole equation when it comes to management. So making sure that the calendars are all synced up in terms of the different systems. And then one thing that people don't really talk about too much, which I absolutely love, is a digital guidebook where when the guest checks in, they're sent, uh, before they check in, they're sent a link to a digital guidebook where we essentially plan out their days, where if they're, if they're saying three or four days, there's about four or five different days that we plan out for the guests based off of the, the attractions in the area. So like um, where we are right now in Western North Carolina, specifically in Asheville, there's a lot of breweries like Asheville's known for their breweries, Asheville's known for their hiking, some of their restaurants. And so we, we plan out their days and they can pick and choose from those days. So I think a digital guidebook's uh, really cool in terms of automation. Almost all of our messaging is automated. And then anything that's not automated is just handled through a, a dashboard that we have. So is there an app that basically handles all that and puts it all together? Yeah. So, so there's different services that you can use. There are different syndication websites uh, based off of 
what type of price point uh, you're looking to be in. So the one that we're just getting into is Streamline, which is, in my opinion, they've been around the longest. They, they're, they're the most robust. They're also the most expensive, but that's why the reason that they're the most robust. But they can syndicate up to 20 different like uh, short-term Airbnb. People think short-term rentals, they automatically think Airbnb, VRBO, but those are just online travel agencies. OTAs is what they're called. And the Streamline software can syndicate to like booking.com and all the different short-term rental sites, which is a built-in marketing platform, essentially, when you're doing it that way. And then another thing that we added in the next last two months was sort of an email capture landing page and the property. So essentially the guests. So if we the, the fees for Airbnb, VRBO just keep going up to the guests. So I, I think currently it's at like 15% to the guest. I mean, it's 3% to the host. So we're really focused in the next three years of building out a direct booking type of platform where we, we, we can take, we get the guests off Airbnb, VRBO, and then we remarket to them through our own stuff. And that way they also save money where, where they're not, we're not, they're not being charged, say like 15% on their booking. Cause that's, that's the biggest complaint I see now with a lot of the guests inquiries we get is. The price is too high, which outside of our booking rate, we don't really have any control over how much Airbnb is charging the guest. So the, the way we handle that is like, just like if you go to the airport, just like if you if you go to a restaurant and you have to put in your email address to to get access to the Wi-Fi, that's essentially what we have uh, in the property. It's a, it's a service called StayFi that creates that. So you're building a return business, essentially. Yeah, because for short-term rentals, say like you have one property, your inventory is your available days. So it's only three hundred. It's only three hundred sixty-five open days. So it's it, you don't really have to have too many return guests to be fully booked out for forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so as long as you do a good job of having a clean property, a nice property that they that they have a good experience, and you're you're re- just like with any other business, like your fortunes in the repeat business. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well-being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Talker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steedtalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. And yeah, if you're providing a, a good service and a quality experience there, then it's not only return customers, but also referrals from satisfied customers Absolutely. there. Yeah. And so you are actually moving away from Airbnb, but you are still at this point in time kind of reliant upon them. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. And I would say, I would say, unless if it's like a high level manager managing 150, 200 plus property, I would say most people are reliant on Airbnb and VRBO. It's just, it's easy. It's, it's easy to get your foot in the door with, with them because the, they have such a robust platform. They have so many people joining every month that use the platform. So by no means are we ever going to get rid of VRBO and Airbnb, but it's nice to be able to build a platform outside of that just in case anything ever happens to those companies. As well as your return customers are actually getting a discount just by going straight through you. So absolutely. It's like a great plan there. So in what areas are you working now and are there areas in which you're planning to expand and why have you selected the areas that you've selected? 
Yeah, that's another phenomenal question. So we're mainly in Western North Carolina right now. Most of our projects are planned in Buncombe County in the Asheville area. Currently can't do proper uh, short-term rentals legally in the city. People still do them, but with me taking investor money, I feel more comfortable being in the county. We get as close as we can to the city. So most of our properties are anywhere between 15 and 20 minute drive to Asheville. The reason I like, like the mountains, like Western North Carolina is you have to drive to get to most of the areas here. Our airport's tiny. So people people are driving into the city and they don't really mind being 15, 20 minutes away from the city, at least from all the guest reviews we've seen. We don't really see any complaints with with how far we are from the city compared to if you were like in DC or if you're in a metro area and you're 30, 25 to 30 minutes away, that might be an issue because they're used to more of like transit systems, but we don't really have that here. The reason I like the mountains compared to the beach is... The seasonality is a little bit more consistent. The mountain markets aren't really that seasonal. There are peak seasons, just like with any market. But I mean, we we see positive, a pretty good return on investment, even in the winter. People like being in a cabin in the winter just as much as they like visiting the city in the summer. So it's it's way cheaper to build in the mountains. There are hundreds of different mountain views, different angles you can have of a mountain compared to a beach. Is you have to be within five to ten minutes, if not right on the beach. And you're you're gonna you're gonna be paying for that compared to the mountains where you can come out here, purchase a lot, anywhere between like twenty to fifty thousand dollars and build a property. You can't do that on the beach. And yeah, mountain cabins in the wintertime have a sense of coziness to them, I think. Right. Uh, do you have fireplaces in your units? So we do the fireplace outside just okay. for yeah, just just for just to protect the, the guests for the most part. The next twelve that we're developing have fireplaces. They're not log fireplaces, they're going to be electric and gas but uh yeah it's, it's, it's just it's just a, an outdoor bonfire pit essentially like area outside to the house yeah well another thing that concerns me with short-term rentals is markets are always shifting and so what's your exit strategy if in fact the market shift and there's a decline in rentals right so we like to underwrite our properties as long-term rentals so there's about two or three three different exits that are built into this this model. When we develop a community, all the lots are separate. So like we're we're developing six cabins together, we don't have all six of those cabins on the same parcel. They're, they're all on their separate part. There's two cabins per parcel. So there's a built-in exit there if we ever need to sell to a person who wants to live in it long-term. Now, we also underwrite our numbers, not just on Airbnb. We don't not only underwrite to short-term rental projections, we also underwrite to what it would rent for as a long-term rental. That's just in case the county or the city decides to just completely switch the laws one day for short-term rentals. If the neighbors decide to picket your yard for any reason, which I mean, it, a lot of neighbors don't like short-term rentals just in the area, but as long as you're building in the right area, you should be fine. But in terms of built-in exit, selling is the, the worst case scenario. We like to either go to the long-term rental route, or if the investor wants to come out of the property, if we have an investor, we can also refinance them out in that model because they are in separate parcels. Well, speaking of refinance, what are the financing models that are available for short-term rental construction? Yeah, there aren't too many. Uh, I've tried the strategy of talking to credit unions and blah, blah, blah. There are a couple lenders out there, Host Financial, Visio Lending. And I believe there's one more that I can't think of, but Host Financial is a phenomenal one. If, if you're looking to do, they do a debt service coverage ratio, asset-based ba- asset lending, and they'll do their debt service coverage ratio based off of proje- uh, short-term rental projections, which is, which is key. But yeah, that, that's essentially the lender we've been using 
is is host financial. Um, there 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 are ones that are coming out almost every single month now because people are seeing the need for these. I'd say host is probably the best one in terms of like construction management. Now, if you're looking to do say a bigger bigger project, there are some commercial lenders that would be open to doing say like at that point if you're doing like twelve to thirty units in a subdivision, that's more of like a a hotel permit or a hotel type of financing, uh, which we haven't played with too much yet. Have you investigated SBA? We have. We tried different brokers, and we we couldn't find any. We couldn't get any luck with that. It's such a weird model. So we're, we're planning anywhere between a thirty to fifty unit subdivision next year, and we're looking for commercial financing because that it's such a new. I'm not going to say it's a new model, but it's definitely a model that like it's very niche for what type of lending product you you would find for it, and the terms have to be good. Like. I have talked to one broker that said they would like finance up to 50%, which is which is just not enough. The, the numbers just don't work out at that point. Yeah, that would be impossible, I would think, with a construction yeah. uh, loan there. Well, you had mentioned earlier that you have nine-month emergency fund there. Why is that important in the short-term rental industry? Yeah, so when, when the lockdown happened, we went, we went, I think, two and a half months, three months without, without any income. And it was nice to be able to fall back on that. Now, there, there was a strategy that I had discovered after that, which actually what a, a lot of short-term rental um, managers were using, which was renting. So the, what I learned recently that there, there's a difference between short-term rental and vacation rental. And those two terms sort of work interchangeably in when, when you're looking for properties to rent out as short-term rentals. But a short-term rental can be like a gray area type thing. And the way it was explained to me was if you're renting out to like travel nurses, a lot of areas like say Asheville doesn't, they, they have very strict vacation rental laws where they don't allow short-term rentals, but the almost every place will allow a rental that's 30, 30 plus days. So if you're, you can rent out to travel nurses and that's sort of a, that's sort of a gray area where you, it's not a vacation rental. It doesn't fall under the vacation rental rules. It, it's technically a short-term rental during the lockdown where their traveling nurses were like exploding like a way more. That's where you're seeing like hosts sort of switch to that model, which was renting out to, to travel nurses, which worked for them. I mean, got them through the two, three months that. And then also another reason we do that six to eight months, six to nine month um, is just if we, that's what host financial likes to see in terms of like reserves, where if the, if the investor wants to do another project with us, it, it's, it's pretty easy to put that loan package together. And any lender that we work with, Outside of host financial, likes to see some sort of that res- that amount in reserves when it comes to construction. Yeah, yeah, I can see why they would, and I can see why you could certainly sleep better at night. Absolutely, with having that type of reserve there. Risk mitigation is always an issue with whatever investment you're having, and the more you protect against that, the better for yourself and your investors to be sure. At the end of the day, when once we because we we're a long term hold about eight to ten years depending on what the market looks like at that time. And I mean, that, that money is just distributed back to the investors or the split between the investor and the operator once that property sold. So it's, it's not money that's lost. It's just the reserve. So. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Alex, how can we get in hold of you and learn more about you and invest with you? Yeah. So I have a YouTube channel called Alex Builds, where I sort of walk people through the process if they're trying to do it on their own or do a couple properties here and there. We talk about management there. We talk about different due diligence items. If they want to invest directly with me, they can contact me at uh, alexbuildschannel at gmail.com. And then we can schedule a call and talk about the investor's goals and what they're looking to achieve. 
Yeah, all of our properties are pretty unique to what we most of the projects we do are joint ventures. They're not they're not syndications, so they're tailored to the investors' needs. Well, Alex, before we go here, share with us one of your most difficult experiences in life and how did you come through that time and what did you learn from that? There's a lot of difficult difficult ones. I would say the most difficult was actually leaving the military. I think a lot of guys in that position when they when it comes time to leave don't realize that the the military does give you a pretty strong support system, whether it be the people that you serve with, but also like a financial support system. And I think the the hardest part of my life was to step away from that and then move to a brand new city that I knew no one in. And that was difficult for the first couple of years, especially because I, I had a job lined up, but it was it was sort of just a placeholder to get me to be working in real estate because I knew I wanted to be in short-term rentals. The way I got through that was just aligning myself with I would call them mentors, but they weren't necessarily mentors in terms of real estate. It, it was just pe- people that did pretty well in life that that had r- really good advice and that, that that were just just had really big hearts. Essentially, just mentored me through life outside of the military because military is very focused, like a, a specific path, and that that that's that's sort of all that is. And then stepping away from that, you build your foundation on that, and then when you step away from it, it's a little difficult. So. I would just say the way I got out of it was just align, aligning myself with both people that were in real estate that had achieved some of the things that I wanted to achieve, and then people that have just, that just lived very full lives. So it was just building my network was was very important to me when when I first moved here. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure having you. A very interesting conversation. Thank you for being with us. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steed Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steed Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steed Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at steedtalker.com.